Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. One very good idea is to set values for for our families. And we do it in a way that we show and it's really really beneficial if you do that. And we need to frame it in a way that this is our value. Right? Mangeras don't do this. Aswats don't do this. Right? Desais don't do this. Khans don't do this. Whatever your family is. Hopefully you've got a family name and you haven't lost it all. Right? But the reason is what you're doing there is you're making it a bigger idea than you don't do it. Because then it's just like you're leaving it to them to make that judgment. Do I, do I not want to do it? We need to bring back this idea of community and family. So they need to become part of a family and they need to represent the family. We're living in, I spoke about some of this last night as well in the other place. So set values for our family and it give them a sense of pride in that, that we don't do this kind of stuff. So they'll understand that there's a whole family behind them and they can't let their family down and their family is there to support them. Right? That's very, very important. It just creates a bigger idea in their mind than just them individually reducing it down to only what they want. Another thing we want to tell children, not in a way that we make them boastful and pump them up to a level where they think they are invincible and so on, but you are exceptional. And we're not doing this in a fake way, just saying, oh, fascinating, that is so wonderful for everything, even if it's a bit silly, right? That, that, they learn eventually that you're just praise, overpraising all the time. So they won't take your praise seriously. You are exceptional in the sense that every child is exceptional. Uh, again, going back to what we discussed last night, for those who were there, we said that every single child and human being is brought, is, Created by Allah with a set of qualities and a set of weaknesses and challenges. The successful ones are the ones who understand their qualities and capabilities and they start using them in the right way. And they also understand their weaknesses and understand how to control them, channel them, correct them. So, very, very important. You can have a kid who's very smart, quality, but then they could be very stingy. Or get angry quickly. Also, just because you have a quality, a professor has a quality of being very sharp. But a really good, meaning good means, a very smart criminal is also smart. They got the same IQ. They have the capability of using the brain. But one has used it for the wrong and the right. So we have to help our children understand what their qualities are and acknowledge them identify them and let them understand. MashaAllah, Allah has given us Make a dua that you can actually use this to, be, to help people in the future. So you're already connecting their capability with a higher motive. We need to really stop telling our children, you need to be a doctor. You need to be an engineer or you need to be a good businessman. Yeah, we, we still make them that, but you need to really help a lot of people and you're going to do that through studying medicine. So studying medicine then doesn't become the end all. It's just part of the higher goal of assisting people and making the world a better place. So they'll have more going for them for that. They'll still become a doctor and a good doctor because they, they got a higher, it's a less, it's, a, it's not a selfish motive anymore. It's more of a selfless motive. They'll still make money. They'll still make this, that and the other, whatever it may be. So we just need higher motivation for them. So make them what you want to make them, but make it for a higher motive. It's all about framing. It's all about us also having that ambition. If we don't have that, we can't ever tell that. We can't just hope for somebody to tell them that one day and for them to change. We're going to have to tell them that. So tell children you are exceptional on the things they are exceptional in, not just for anything. Each child is in their own way. And if we can't figure out how our child is, how do we expect them to find out? Parents know their children better than anybody else. So then what you can do, what you can build from there is 
if we can figure that out, the purpose of that is then to say to a child, you're not like everybody else. You are special. Not in an arrogant way, but you can't go down to that level. It's easier. Oh, my friends do it. Why can't I do it? Everybody does it. Why can't I do it? If we've taught our children self-dignity, self-honor, an exceptionalism of, you know, I want to do greater things in the world, then you then it's easier to say, look, if that's what you want to achieve, then you can't do all of that. That's all losers, right? It's easier to distinguish from bad if you do that. But not in a night, you have to be very careful and not become arrogant and start looking down on others in that sense. Inshallah, there is a book that we're working on. We've been working for a few years actually. It's been ready. It's just, Inshallah, it's nearly there now. Called The Etiquette of Brotherhood. Etiquette of Companionship by Imam Sha'rani. And he deals with some really, really, you know, cases of how to deal with with others. It's a book of amazing akhlaq and adab. And he gives lots of great ideas in there of how to stay away from evil but not diminish the level of people, how to deal with challenging situations, conflicting pressures and tensions. We have to teach our children to be savvy enough, next point, savvy enough not to be manipulated. They can't be so gullible and so mollycoddled that they just trust everybody and expect others to do everything for them. So then they get manipulated because there's a lot of manipulation in the world. Adults get manipulated to voting for certain parties, certain, in fact, taking on certain ideology, ideologies, and they don't even know why they take on that ideology. We're just lucky that we have, that we're connected to ulama and the deen, that we're getting this constant, mashallah, input from the religion and spirituality. Otherwise, we'd just be another pawn in this world of uh, being led by mostly capitalists who, uh, who who literally uh, drive uh, drive the politicians now as well? It's no longer popular opinion. Popular opinion is created by people who want to make a lot of money, become big influencers, you know, while remaining in the shadows, and uh, they manipulate using various different social media indo- indoctrination techniques. And now you have, you know, the various different AI uh, facilities available and so on. So. It's a good job we have Islam, otherwise we'd just be like everybody else, except the few who get saved, because they have an independent mind, and they can see through it. Majority of people aren't like that. So we have to allow, uh, we have to go on, give that kind, equip our children not to be manipulated. The other thing I might as well say here is that we don't let the children manipulate us. We have to be able to see through that. And it's completely fine to let them manipulate you sometimes to feel that they've got a win over you for something innocent. It's completely fine. Let them have that. But you can't always be manipulated. You can't be that gullible. So it works both ways. You have to remember that our children can't be so pampered that they don't have any difficulty whatsoever. That if they re- if they get... Uh, if, if they're confronted with some kind of small difficulty that you will cry and, you know, even if you feel like crying. Children who have not been raised with some kind of, some amount of troubles at all, you know, no, no trouble at all, but rather just with a phone in their hands and they get what they want, right? How are they going to survive in the world? If you have youth who have a phone in their hand and they're basically addicted to porn, and how are they going to get anything in this world? Some kind of trouble is important. Difficulty, to go through that difficulty is very, very important. So that they can learn because the world is not always a very easy place to be. Okay, another scenario. Dad, I came first in exams. How, what should your reaction be to that? Well, you could have multiple reactions. You could be like, Okay, uh, uh, in your if you came first in your exam, what percentage did you get? Got ninety? Oh no, that's you should have got ninety nine. Should have got hundred. So you could do that as well, but you can do that as long as you give you congratulate them first. Um, another one would be, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you're supposed to come first anyway. So there's multiple reactions you can give. 
one thing you can to, you know, establish this idea of a certain dignity for your own family and for your own Muslim fraternity. I came first in exam. Well, obviously you're a Mangera man. Then give them the praise. Going on to a few, again, this might sound completely random, but I think it's just talking points because then I'd like to just take your questions. Don't ever, don't ever allow the children and yourselves to ever joke about others having a disease. Even as a joke. They hear about a disease or somebody's gone and then they playfully say, oh, you're going to get that easy because we believe in a moment of acceptance and we just don't say bad things like that from our tongue. So that's a very bad idea to even pray, well not pray, but uh, consider that somebody else is in a bad state because that's bad. That's not part of our akhlaq. It could be a moment of ijabah, which means acceptance. And uh, we don't want such du'as to be accepted. And then after that, sometimes it might happen and then it might blame them for the rest of their life. You prayed against me. Alhamdulillah, we're no longer in that kind of uh, suspicious, superstitious mode anymore. But in the villages, that's that's the way they'll just blame you for leaving the chapel upside down and something bad happened because of that. Because they don't just have too much education, so they just hang on to these few ideas. If you leave the chapel upside down, doesn't you get azab or something? I mean, I don't like to because it's just not... Decorum. It just look. I'll always straighten it out just because I don't like it. Even if I'm in a hurry and I'm typing something, I'll make sure that you know the punctuation is proper and there's no spaces. I just don't like it, even though nobody else is going to see it. Just you know, you have your own attitude about certain things, which is fine to have. So jokes are fine. They can joke about with one another, but the children to have safe and healthy humor. Safe and healthy humor. Is very important. Dignified humor, honorable humor, right? Now, if you're a perfectionist as a parent, it's going to be a bit more difficult for you because you want your children to reach perfection, but they might be naturally sloppy. It's very tough to come to terms. I wanted my child to be better than me or like me, and they're sloppy, man. And then you start telling them you're good for nothing and you're sloppy. That's very, very wrong. Allah creates everybody with it, and you just have to come to terms with it. That look, He's not going to be as punctual as I am. It's just in their nature. He wants to be, but he can't be. We do our best to uh, help them out in that. But personalities are different. Some people are just punctual by nature. Alhamdulillah, um, one of the brothers in London who uh, has been helping with our Zamzam Academy and he literally takes me around and videos and everything for the last over 10 years, he has never been late. I will come out of the house five minutes late, up to five minutes, no more than that. But he's still always there five minutes before the time. So he'll come outside and say, I'm outside. Five minutes before, he knows I'm going to come out at least one or two minutes after. Meaning at least if it's three o'clock, he'll come out five to three. Even though he knows I'll probably come out at three or one, three or two, maximum three or five. I don't ever delay beyond that. But he'll always be five minutes before. It's just in his nature. He can't help it. He can't help it. Some people are just like that. And some people are just late by night. They, they, they struggle. Because you'd rather be early than late. So we have to get our children to learn that they can't procrastinate. They can't do things in the last minute. And we have to sit them and explain to them and say, look, just this week, do it this way and see how you feel. Because they just don't want to do it because they're missing out on the games and everything they can do, like homework for the weekend. So one day you say, look, this week we're going to try it differently. Just play along with me. Go and sit on Saturday morning and do your homework. Get it done. I'll be supervising. I'll be with you. And then you'll just see how you feel. Let's just test it out. And then get them to do it for that week. And they'll just feel the benefits. Because sometimes you don't know until you see the benefits. And then you see how aggravating it is the next week when you try to go back to the same thing. So sometimes you just have to help them to do it differently by convincing them, incentivizing it to do it differently rather than keep saying, do your homework, do your homework. Pre-plan it. Say, look, this is the way we're going to do it today. Now, they'll only listen to you if they see you as a considerate person who does listen and who does try to find practice. If they can get trust on us to be practical solution providers, then they'll accept and play along with us, even if they're suspicious of us. But if we're seen as never practical solution providers, just shouters and condemners, then they got nothing to look forward to. Because that, our profile in their mind is that.
But yeah, again, if you're, if we're a perfectionist, then we have to be very careful because, and we have to realize that they might not be able to be a perfectionist. You need other strategies then to get to comply, uh, get them to comply. It's very, very frustrating. Why can I do it and you can't do it? That's a big question that comes in mind. All children are created differently and you can't use the same approach with all of them. You know, there is this additional tuition that people give usually, right? So now, again, if you can work hard on the first one or two, then the rest of them, they'll never have to go to another tuition center again. Because the older ones, if they're doing especially the same subject, they can easily tuition them afterwards. So working hard on the first ones is very, very, very beneficial. They'll do 50% or more of your job for you. Gets a bit more difficult for the young ones because then they have three parents or four parents. So then we have to sit them down and say uh, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, like, what right do you have? They will think that what right do you have to tell me? You're just my older brother. I have to say, no, you have to listen to them. He's your older brother. He's your, she's your older sister. They have an authority over you. They have that, that many more years. You have to explain these things. Don't just expect it to gonna be happening because they're going to see themselves as the same. Okay, they have respect for parents because they're too far you know, older than them. Now, what we have to also understand is that many times, probably most times, this is a, this is a, a very confusing question in the modern world. Before, it was very clear. The father's role was very clear. And the mother's role was very, very clear. Uh, but modern world has changed it all. In fact, we have literally cases where the wife is making a lot more money than the husband and cases where the wife is bringing the money and the husband is at home. It makes it really, really, really strange because that whole uh, hierarchy that's understood even from the Quran is very difficult then to implement because the rijalu qawamuna ala nisai bima faddalallahu ba'dahum ala ba'd here, it's the other way around. Right? So there is the one God-given responsibility. The other one is because you spend on them. You're not spending on them, so you've messed it up. Half half. So then you change half the diapers, half the nappies, and, and so on. So many times, in a more traditional setup anyway, it is the mother that takes care of most of the direct focus on the children. The father usually creates the environment of the house and is there as a as a person to make sure that it's all working fine, right? And there for the backup, and therefore bringing the additional you know uh, police force in when when it's required when the mother can't deal with it as such, right? So, and that's fine. That's fine, right? The father does not have to do fifty percent of the direct contact with the child. This is not to give uh, you know an escape card for the uh, get out of jail free card for the children. Sorry, for the father. It's just to show that that's fine. Because sometimes the father may be feeling very bad that I can't do 50% of the work. Because how do you quantify this work? How do you quantify the work that's needed? Providing a very specific, healthy environment, uh, economically and uh, with the right strictures in place and so on, that is valued as well. Uh, clearly the mother mother's work is more valued than the father's from the Sharia perspective. I mean, I, I'm not being uh, a feminist here. It's from the Sharia perspective that your mother, your mother, your mother was three times, right? And there could be multiple reasons for that. And usually because the mother does spend more time starting off from carrying the embryo, right? Going through labor and then feeding and all of that. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And that's why Allah will probably hold them to a different standard than than men. And they are allowed to progress in their spirituality if they focus on it faster than men in many cases. Many sheikhs have said that we've seen women who are doing their basics, they're fulfilling their obligations and looking after their children in an honest, genuine way, progress spiritually faster than a young 21, 22-year-old with a tasbih in his hand and a turban on his head. Because these are the rigors of life. This is compassion for another creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fulfilling a responsibility. So there, are, there could be different aspects. So each one needs to look at this, not in the framework of modern feminism and all of these kind of uh, misogyny ideas and things like that to, uh, to create complications of life. But rather... 
that this is the khidmah and this is what it is. The women are biologically more predisposed, uh, 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 are basically formulated and created uh, for more of that direct contact we're talking about. That doesn't mean the father can be absent completely. So the basic job is, what is then the father's role? His job is to see that all of the things that require the father's input specifically, the overall discipline and function of the family, and the buck does stop with him as they say, which means that if things aren't happening the right way, his job is to step in and get the facilities for that to happen. So he can't blame it on the mother. He can work with the mother to make sure she's doing the tarbiyah that she does and that she can do. But if there's some shortcoming there, then he's going to have to provide it. He can't beat the wife up for that. Uh, if that's all she can do, if she doesn't have the capability to do it, for example, or the training to do it, he will have to provide that training. That doesn't mean that women who uh, can get that training for themselves don't do so if the husband doesn't say so. It's not a tit-for-tat game. It's not about your response and mine. We're both doing what we have to do. And then he has to at least observe the overall harmony of the family along with provide, providing the income, sufficient income and not forcing the wife to, to work. Okay, I think I've said this before, but be very careful about secluded children. Children who love isolation. Unless they're mashallah doing du'as all day long or something like that. Well, even then I'd probably be worried, you know. Um, to a certain degree I'd be worried about that as well. As I said, the most difficult children are the ones who don't reveal anything. They internalize everything. Because you don't know what they're doing, you can't even help them, you just have to assume things. So how do you figure out those children, teenagers, especially at that age? You have to be extra vigilant, you have to see who their friends are. And nowadays it's much more difficult because you can't physical friends, you don't know who the online friends are. And I've had cases of at least three, at least three that I can remember in the last one or two years of, I think, between 15 and 70 years old who literally lost their faith uh, based on communication with somebody in another country they've never seen but who've had that chat with them about the faith and, well, you know, sometimes it's a woman, sometimes uh, sometimes a boy, sometimes a girl, mostly it's a girl, and uh, they've lost their faith because there was just not enough. And it's it's like, whose fault is it? She didn't reveal anything and it was too late because you don't see the change occur over time because it's just pan-faced, you know, silence and uh, just grunts of yes and no. It's just very difficult. So what do you do in that case? You have to be extra vigilant about any kind of changes. You have to get somebody else to talk to them that they might trust more than you because clearly a, a breakdown of relationship somewhere, an auntie, a cousin, or someone that can discuss with them to find out what they're feeling like. Maybe if you can invite her, if she has any friends, invite them over and then maybe when... Nobody's looking, have a chat with the friends, how's things going, and, and so on. You have to use some kind of strategy. And to be honest, if that means that you check their messages once in a while, there's nothing wrong with that as well. Because that would be allowed based on that. right? Based on the fact that you, it's your concern. And it's completely fine to have, for example, I know one case where the son didn't ha- uh, didn't, uh, their son did not have a mobile phone until he's finally 16 and had to go to college, uh, and he was further away. But then it was regulated, so the phone would just work from certain time to some time. It would go off because of the parental. And it's completely fine to do that. But then your child better be somebody that relies on you and can allow and tolerate that stricture and understand that it's for their own benefit. If they're going to be very rebellious, it's not going to work, they're going to just get buy another phone. Somehow, they're going to collect money, they're going to buy another phone. So it has to be, there's no perfect way. It has to be done in a way that you've trained them enough to listen to you and say, look, I'm going to have to save you from yourself just like I have to save myself from myself because YouTube is too addictive, right? And social media is too addictive. So as you know, I know that. That's why I'm helping you out here. I wish there was somebody to do that for me as well. You can even say that if you want to, right? So that's very, very important that this social media is going to be one of our biggest challenges. It just... Uh, profoundly catalytic, you know, in a catalytic fashion, it just increases the challenges of that teenage years. Because you are not the only one who is having input. There's hundreds of people or machines or whatever it is, ideologies that are having an input into the child's life because they're online. 
So be very careful with secluded children. You have to find a way to break through somehow because otherwise uh, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. With others, you'll actually see a difference. You can pick it up quickly. Okay, a child's mind... Ya Allah, time is flying. A child's mind is like a sponge. I don't have to say that, right? Uh, a sponge sucks in clean... The problem is that a sponge can suck in clean and dirty water. So depending on how we use it. So if by the teenagers we haven't taught them to sift through good and bad, then they're going to be a sponge that sucks in both. If we've trained them properly, then they can be a more smarter sponge. Using a modern idea that, okay, no, I can't take that in. I can only take this in. So they're more of a smarter sponge. And we have to worry about smarter sponges as opposed to just standard sponges. We live in a smart world now, right? So a similar, similarly, a child's mind will suck in good and filthy things depending on how we do their tarbiyah. The tarbiyah is what makes them smart. They know if they made a mistake. And they feel regrets. And if they don't know, then they're just going to suck everything in. Okay, the last few points before we open it up. So what exactly, you know, we, we talk about tarbiyah, uh, which means nurture, training, bringing them up in the correct way. That's called tarbiyat, right? Now, we, that's what we've been speaking about, tarbiyah, right? However, the, we can say that if you want to reduce tarbiyah down to maybe five points, if you want to reduce tarbiyah down to five points, there's tarbiyah and then in Arabic there's called ri'ayah, which means uh, a general oversight and focus and caretaking. So tarbiyah is rearing, nurturing, training, and ri'ayah is considered to be where you're uh, supervising well because you've already done the training, so they should continue on that supervision because you, know, you could still have pitfalls in life. We still make mistakes. So for tarbiyah, if we say that we want to reduce it down to five, there's more than that, but you say you reduce that. Number one is we're trying to create satisfaction and content, satisfied and contented human beings with the decree of Allah, with what the world gives you, and not be, you know, that saves us from being greedy and overly uh, ambitious. Ambitious enough, but not overly ambitious. So qana'at, in Arabic, qana'at, which means contentment, satisfaction uh, with what you have. That ha- For that to happen, what needs to be taught? Aqeedah. Because without reliance on Allah, you can never be content. Because you're content because you realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're doing it for the sake of Allah. Allah is uh, the provider. Uh, Allah is the rewarder. And for every difficulty Allah will give, and we don't want too much because that corrupts the soul. So you need aqidah. And uh, you obviously need to understand life. You need to understand the concepts of greed, ambition, uh, limits, and, and so on. So I'm just going to quickly do this briefly because we don't have time. Number two, after qana'at, we need tawjihul ihtimamat. Uh, f- directing them in the correct direction where their focus needs to be correct. Right? So correcting the focus, you can call that. This includes especially how to deal with your time, the age and the time and the units of time that you have been provided. What are you going to use that in? So that's why it will really help to understand what capabilities our children have so that you can get them into the right kind of fields of study, of training, of business or whatever it may be. So that the time is productive and used well. Right? So they they can become satisfied, contented individuals who are using their time well and not wasting their time. Or if they're wasting, they know they're wasting their time and they can do something about it. Uh, Number three was... Tanmiyatul Maharat, which means uh, giving them a skill set, giving them skills. So it was being satisfied and content and trusting in Allah, reliance, uh, focused, not waste their time, and now giving them skill set to use for their life, for this world and the hereafter. It's called Maharat, to make them skillful in something, a skilled 
in, in whatever it is. That could be in terms of their physical state, uh, looking after their health, etc. It could be obviously in terms of their education. It could be the way they look at things, their rational faculty, their spiritual faculty. All of this requires a certain skill set. Management, uh, all of this that we discuss, uh, looking after your guests, uh, meeting somebody, conveying a message, getting things done for yourself, all of that is skill sets. Multiple skill sets. We're just categorizing these things. So we have to make them skilled. Not professional necessarily. Definitely skilled to do multiple things that are going to be needed in your life. Uh, number four. Qawa'idul uh, ilaqat. as relationships. Have to deal with relationships. They have to understand how to deal with different relationships. So who can you be, uh, you know, who can be your friend? What right do you have over your friends, what they have over you once you do have a friend? What kind of people to avoid? How to deal with your, how to have a relationship with your teacher? How to have with your uncles and aunts and fulfill the objects, uh, sorry, the, uh, um, the, the, the rights of kinship uh, and, and, and so on. All of this needs to, so because of the fact that I know I, I was never told that you'll be rewarded For going to visit your uncle Or your auntie I was never told you'd be rewarded I was just told that it's we should do that Because it's cultural to do that And you're seen as an outcast If you don't do that But I was never given an incentive It was all about what people are going to say or And so on Right so what I tell my children, we get a reward. So sometimes I've moved out of the area that I was going where many of my relatives, if, if I go back there and I'm on the way to, I know one of my aunt, uncle's house in, in between, I'll pop in for two minutes and tell my children, look, we got so much reward for doing that as well. It's an additional incentive. And just meeting relatives, it has its own benefits anyway. It just feels good. Happiness in the longest uh, ever done study of 70 plus years in Harvard University saying to find out what happiness is and sorry, yeah, what gives you most happiness, it's being good with your family. And the Prophet actually mentioned in the hadith that if you want increase in the quality of your life or increase in your life, be good with your relatives. So we put a religious dimension to that. And mashallah, then even if they if they if they don't want to do kala kala all the time, they'll do it for the sake of getting an extra reward. As long as we built in a system for them to, un, to appreciate reward and to go for more reward. So these are all kind of interact, uh, um, the interlocking ideas. Okay, so that was ilaqat, relationships. La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. For example, they've studied in Maktab and now they're 16, 17 year old and then, you know, they meet their ustad from before. Or here, take this as a gift for your teacher. Who taught you when you were six years old? That is going to give them. Otherwise, do you care about your teacher who taught you when you were seven? That one teacher who taught you for that one year between five and six who taught you amara balagha. Do most people care about them? They might just say, okay, you know, whatever. But you know, so to appreciate them, you're appreciating the dean for that. But we have to tell them, look, you go and do that, and then just learn organically. You just do things like that. Okay, number five is ikhtiyarul qudwat, finding the right role models. So we have to then literally highlight for them certain role models. Not by telling them this is your role model, but just talk about people that we want them to be. So um, talk about how great they are or whatever. So in their sight, in their, in their mind, it's like somebody to look up to. That's very important. If you want to do the job ourselves, then don't give them role models, but that's tough. If we give them role models that they can actually listen to and uh, follow, it makes our life easier because we trust those role models to give them the right track. And everybody needs a role model. They'll find something to be a role model. So we have to glorify certain role models for us. That was ikhtiyar al-qudwat, as we call it. So we can say that these five things will, uh, that, that was, uh, um, contentment, satisfaction, right? Be a contented soul. Uh, number two, be focused and, uh, value your time. Number three, be skilled to do multiple things. 
Um, number four, uh, manage your relationships. Know where, where to have a, where not to have a relationship and what to do with these relationships. What they entail, uh, how you're supposed to reciprocate, how you're supposed to initiate. And number five was uh, role models. So there's lots of things underneath there, but at least we can try to recognize for ourselves that have we taught our children any of this. So there you go. I think we're going to have to stop here. Um, there's already some pre uh, uh, some questions that already came in. So let's deal with those quickly first. I'm having trouble with my 18-year-old and his salat. Some days, alhamdulillah, he is fine, but sometimes he can be so stubborn and will make his salat qada. This has affected his relationship with his father and caused a lot of tension. So look, one is that I can look at this retrospectively and say that if we, I mean, I know this is too late for that, but at least for the rest of us, that we can't emphasize salat after they become the team. Many we can, but we need to do this from a young age where they understand God consciousness, taqwa, and the awareness of Allah that we're doing this for Allah rather than myself. That is the best way to make them muqimin as-salat, establishes of the prayer. Because then they're doing it for themselves, not doing it for you. We want to be, as soon as possible, we want to stop our children doing it for us. That has to start at a younger age. Now, if they've already read 18 and they're, not, they're doing it for us, maybe at least half or whatever, they're not understanding their own reasons, then we have to then maybe start the whole philosophy again as to why salat is. Because we... Sometimes what happens is that people forget why they're doing namaz. They just think it's important. Okay, I understand it's important. But they don't really understand the repercussions of it. I had one kid in madrasa. I was not from a very religious family and kept missing Jumu'ah. Because I don't think his parents considered it very important. So one day I took Fadail Amal. Right, this was in America. I took Fadail Amal and made him read the hadith uh, that are warning you against missing prayer. And he started coming from Jumu'ah from the next week. Right? So sometimes we, we can't just keep telling them we have to reinvigorate and revive the knowledge of why they should pray. Reconnect them to that. I don't know if we've tried that. That might be a way to go by it. right? Which is to tell them why we pray. So give them a resource. Let them read it for themselves. Let somebody explain to them. Find a bayan on the importance of prayer so that they can make it personally for themselves rather than for us. That is the first thing we need to switch. Show them the benefits of the prayer. And number two, really, really powerful is the dua. Rabbi ja'alni muqima salati wa min dhurriyati rabbana wa taqabbal dua. Massively powerful dua. Oh Allah, make me uh, of the establishers of prayer and from my progeny until the day of judgment. All Everybody's going to come from me. And Allah, if he accepts that dua, that's our life that's made. Okay. As communication is incredibly important as well as transparency, if a parent has never had this with a child, how can they begin to create this environment where the child can come and talk to the parent about anything as trying to make the environment overnight might be difficult, obviously, for sure. So I think don't use a problem to start the discussion because then it's going to be linked to problem. Just start talking about them, random things about how they feel and revealing stuff about yourself that you've never shared before that shows that you're opening up to them because you're probably closed as well, I'm assuming, just an assumption. And that's why they might be closed. It might be that. So try to be transparent, try to be show your own weaknesses maybe and show that, look, I've made mistakes and so on. But don't connect it yet to any issue. It's just about developing a... A trust And once that can happen Then we start broaching The more difficult subjects Once that trust is created So then Should I trust them? I don't know If you should trust them About what? Like that's a very broad question I can't answer that question Should I trust them? I mean I don't know You know your child more than me Right? So I don't know If you can trust them or not Right? That's too open-ended I can't answer that question However Discussing sex, uh, sex education with teens I think we've been through that Right? That is, what I discussed was all sex education. Literally, the proper one. Right? I think we just missed out one or two points that you can't have that kind of relationship outside of marriage and, and so on. So I think that's what I missed out. Otherwise, mostly everything, that is what it is. It's just they add a lot of other stuff to it. That it's okay to do this, that and the other. 
Number two, how to deal with their mood swings and hormones. I think I've covered that as well. I think I've covered a lot of this, actually. Just tell them that this will be natural. It's fine. It happens at this time, right? And we have to be more tolerant. And then tell them, look, you have to expect this. In a culture where everything is challenged and parental authority is undermined, how can we instill respect for parents? I think we just have to talk about it from a younger age and make ourselves respectable. Because if we're not respect material, then it's going to make the life easy, more difficult for them to respect. And believe me, I think children do want to respect them. There will be phases where they don't and they act very, uh, they act very independent and so on. But I've seen even bad kids, they want love from their parents. They want it. And, uh, they're feeling so bad. There's, there's, I've had calls from people who their parents are violent, mean people, like just really damn right ugly in their approach to things where they're clearly favorable to another brother or sister. They're very, very nasty, vulgar in their approach. And she's like, I'm trying my best, but I just get, you know, I just get. So I said, look, forget, you're not going to change your parents. Just come to terms. You're not going to change them. Your job is just to have a thicker skin as possible. Just say, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah and do as much as you can for them, but don't expect anything in return. If you're expecting their love, it's not going to come. Once you stop the expectation, understand that's what it is, then it's just easier psychologically uh, to carry on. Sometimes it's just the case. That's just how they are. And only a big calamity from Allah is going to, or some big islah is going to sort them out. You can't sort them out. But at least you know where you stand. And you have to stop comparing yourself with others. So these are some of the things that we, we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to understand. So instill respect for parents. From a young age, we talk about that, but then we have to sh- show that we are, uh, we, we deserve that respect because we're giving them, a, you know, a side of the deal, right? We are, but we have to just show them that without overtly showing it. They must learn to value that. Mobile phone usage, I think I've spoken about that. Is it appropriate to have a parenting control app on us? I think so. 16 plus one, you can. You can definitely have an app, especially if you bought them the phone, right? But then it just depends on how your kid is not giving any ideas here, but they might just buy a new one, another one that you don't know about. So there's no, you know, there's no 100% foolproof idea, but yeah, absolutely you can, right? How late they should be allowed out? Where is the line? That's up to you. <laughs> That's up to you. There's no one line. It just depends on your area, right? Um, if you go to a place like Chorley, everything closes at like five o'clock in the afternoon anyway, right? So, and in London, everything's open until, you know, all night. So it just depends on where you are. But I think just simply, if they're living under your roof, you have a right to put any rule down that you want. So after nine o'clock, you shouldn't be outside. They get older, okay, after 10 o'clock, after 11 o'clock, whatever it is. It just depends on how much you trust them. So I don't know what age children you're talking about. So it depends on the age. It depends on where they're going to be, what they're going to be, and do you know what's going on, who they're going to be with, and, and so on. For example, let's just say that my 16-year-old has started Alim class and it's an it's a over 16's Alim class, so most of his classmates are older and they want to go for a meal every Friday evening after their class, which is at, after 9 o'clock. So he said, no, you can't go. You're only 16. They're all, you know, adults. They're 19 to 40. <laughs> but then once in a while, we'll let him go. You have to say, look, you're different. You're younger than all of them. So you have to give them some understanding. It's, it's, it's fine with that. And one, once in a while, you let them go. So you have to use your own wisdom, strategy, understanding of the scenario. There's no hard and fast rule to this, of course. The rule can't ever be that you can just stay out as long as you want. Or until 12 o'clock at night. Especially with girls, it's going to be more strict than with boys. And that's not discrimination against girls. It's just that girls are usually more vulnerable. They are taken advantage of much more than boys are, right? So it's, it's really as simple as that. And we, and, but again, we're going to have to get our daughters to understand that that's why there may be a different rule for you and your brother. Otherwise, they're going to think that you're just being misogynist. Why can he go? Why can't I go out? That's another struggle in this life because of the whole, you know, feminism outside. It's very, it, it get, that gets a lot more complicated. How to get kids active in charity work is go and do it with them. Take them along with you. And then um, I, I know somebody who actually took his, he does charity work in, 
I think Tanzania, uh, Tanzania, Kenya, that area. He actually took his children and got them involved. And when they see all the orphans that they're benefiting, you could do that locally. It doesn't have to be in another country. But when they see that every human being is going to feel good about doing that, inshallah, they'll pick it up as well. So get them involved in some easy charity work in, and uh, inshallah, they'll benefit from that. How to deal with mental health and figure out what th- uh, when, when things are becoming too much for them. I don't, I mean, that, that's something you'll probably have to talk more to a psychiatrist or a therapist, a Muslim therapist for that. I mean, in general, like if you're worried about certain things and you can't find an answer, then don't feel embarrassed about getting help from somebody. Don't feel embarrassed about getting help from somebody. How to be a parent as well as a friend for your child. I don't understand how you be a friend to your child. That, that's an idea and a lot of people are confused about this. Do you have children? Are you a friend to your child? What about you? Are you a friend to your child? Do you see yourself as a friend? Or are you just a really cool parent? Do you know what I'm saying? I don't understand this idea. A parent is a parent. What do you mean a child? A friend? When, when does, when the Prophet said, Ana sadiquk. Like I'm your friend. When did he say that? I understand the sentiment behind it. I think you just have to be a good parent. You're always the parent. But you're cool enough to be able to get down to their level, play with them, relate to them. You need to be relatable parent. That's really important. So stop feeling bad that you're not a, you're not a friend to your children. Be a good parent. Because I think this c- creates a conundrum in many people's mind. That, I can't be a friend. My father was never my friend. How do I be a friend? You understand? It creates a big psychological dilemma in your mind. So forget about being a friend. Just be a good, very flexible, very adaptive, and really cool parent. So be a cool parent instead. That's what you are. You're a parent, man. What else are you? So yeah, forget the friend, friend business, right? Friends are like, if you're, if you're my friend, you do something, I have to do it with you and all that. No, man, I'm a parent but be a nice parent so that they can relate to you. <coughs> Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I can't see any... I understand the sentiment, but I can't really see it. And I think it causes a lot of confusion in people's mind if they're not friend material to younger people. Because some people just, they can't be friends to younger people. They can be friends to their level. And some people find it even difficult to find, you know, be a friend to anybody, like a, you know, friend. They just do things, they're, they're good, they, they can have good colleagues, but they're not into friendship. You know, where they're more independent. So how do you be a friend? What does friendship even mean? So uh, I think it's just a wrong word. The sentiment is correct though. That's a difficult one. Uh, children who are very gullible and who will just do things. So I think we just have to do our best to kind of give them a sense of their own honor and dignity. You know what I was saying earlier? We don't do this kind of stuff. When they realize that, that we don't do this kind of stuff, that will hopefully stick to their mind. Uh, in their mind. So say, look, if somebody is going to do that, you're going to get in trouble. So we've had a kid who likes to mess around and show off a bit. So his friends won't get in trouble. He will because he's the louder one and he just loses it. So I think it just takes, uh, it's not going to correct overnight. You just have to keep talking to them nicely and expressing why do you have to get in trouble? Like at least be smart if you want to do something wrong. Like, don't be so dumb, you know. So don't mess around and show off at the same time. Like, you know, okay, if you want to mess around, okay, you know, and you're a child, you can mess around. So I think we need to set uh, better parameters as well. So you can't tell them don't mess around at all. Just saying you can mess around, but in the right time. Like, have fun at, uh, you know, at playtime, but don't do it at somebody else's expense. Don't let yourself get into trouble. Be more smart about it. Not that you become more smart criminal, but in the, in the sense that uh, you're trying to get, and inshallah, over time they will become more mature. Sometimes it's just that phase. Remember, we're still developing. The children are still developing, inshallah. And don't expect uh, uh, results overnight. It could take a year, maybe one and a half year, and lots of dua, because that's the secret ingredient that we have to help, inshallah. Anger management is one where I mean, for the adult, go on anger management course, right? That's simple. If it's child, then first learn where the anger is coming from. Is it because they're seeing the way we react? I am an angry person. This is the way I react. So he's doing the same. That's what he's learned to uh, to do, that this is how I should react. Number one. Number two, find what the triggers are. Is there some frustration? Does the child feel that you're favoring the brother more? Does the child feel that 
So for example, this one child, uh, whenever he would get some Eidi or something like that, the, f- the, the father would take it because he's just going to lose the money or... No. So the child gets is getting really angry like you steal all my money, you've spent all my money. So one day the father finally figured out what the issue is that he genuinely thinks that he's got no money left and you've spent all of his money. So he showed him a spreadsheet or whatever it was and said, look, this is all your money. I've been keeping it for you. Since that day that stopped. Because that, that child had a strong sense of fairness and injustice and it's like, what are you doing that for? We think they just understand, or they should understand, and so on, right? I remember once I got an ED, and for some reason my mom thought that I don't need it or whatever, and she was going to give it to somebody else. I felt really, really oppressed, right? I still remember this yellow toy, you know, and you, you press those buttons and it flicks up this kind of circle, and then you're so. I don't know why she felt I didn't need it. it was, everything else was with that one. She wanted to give something. I was like, that is so unjust because I have a strong sense of you know justice and an injustice. Right? So I felt really bad. So you can't do things like that. You have to speak to your children. And don't just expect them to understand, especially if you are doing injustice like that. Allah forgive her, Allah bless her. Right? So, um, yeah, so we have to find out the triggers of why they get angry. And then ultimately, I think, uh, yeah, if we can figure those out, then give them the understanding from the Sharia. It depends on how old they are. And show them anger doesn't work, then you become irrational, you become, you'll do things that you'll regret later. Anger is a fire, it's from shaitan, and we bring all of that discourse in there. Jazakallah khair, Allah bless you all. Sorry I couldn't answer any more questions, but the time flew. And Allah bless all of our children and keep them on the right track and keep make us wonderful parents. Assalamu alaikum. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, And that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in islam and you'll feel a lot more confident you don't have to leave lectures behind you can continue to leave uh, you know to listen to lectures but you need to have this more sustained study as well jazakallah khairan assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh